Once again, good morning. That's totally acceptable. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Again, for any of you who are visiting, my name is Glenn, uh, one of the pastor's elders here at the Rock Church. Church, sorry. I, I want to say a special uh, good morning as well to some people online watching from home, uh, people who are unable to make it out because of sickness or whatever it might be, but also got some emails in the last week or so for some people who are watching uh, and have been for a long time online who are unable to make it out or from just a little bit outside of town. So good morning to you as well. We are, if you have your Bibles with you, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We are at the end of our series in 1 Timothy this morning. Can you believe it? This, this is the 12th week in this series. And I say this you know, often when we get to an end of a series that I, I'm really sorry this is ending. But it is the end of the book, at the end of the letter. So we're going to have to end it this morning. And uh, I think that's a good thing that your, your pastor or the preacher uh, is able to say that because um, I, just, I just have really loved it. Uh, I know that it's been very challenging and difficult at times. Uh, not just for you. Uh, I'm the one who's got to get up here and read it and tell us what it's saying in the real literal words of the Bible. But uh, wow, um, as I hope you will have seen actually through the whole series, um, it's been a tremendous window. Uh, I hope you've seen this into the life of the Apostle Paul and his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at. We, we've been reading about Paul writing letters, to, uh, a letter in this particular case. He's written a few to Timothy, as we will see, uh, in response to concerns and questions that Timothy has about, what am I supposed to do here? You left me here in Ephesus. I'm 30 years of age, and, uh, and, and I've got challenges. I've got problems in this church. Thanks, Paul. And so Paul has been writing to him to encourage him, to exhort him, all the while knowing that not only Timothy is going to read these words, but those guys in the church are going to hear those words too, right? It's going to be read publicly. And so that's, it's just been amazing. I hope you've really been encouraged by that. And so uh, this letter is one of those, as we've said from the beginning, one of those three pastoral epistles. And we as your elders of the church decided last April, May, that in this season of the church, September through June, uh, Lord willing, next year, we would go through all three of them. Um, and so we've been finishing up today, 1 Timothy, and then, Lord willing, uh, we'll look at 2 Timothy in January. We'll take a break for a Passion Week series, three to four weeks leading up to Easter, and then Titus, right? That'll be, that'll be fun. It's really, really great. And so w- one of the reasons we've highlighted uh, actually throughout this whole series that Paul, he actually told Timothy and you and I why, and I know I've repeated this several times, but it'll be important for us to see this today. He said, this is why I'm writing this letter to you, Timothy. And the words in 1 Timothy 3.15 again are, so that if I delay, if I'm unable to get to you, to see you and be with you, Timothy, to support you in person, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And, and, and so this has been, this whole letter has been about our behavior, how we should behave in the church, not just the rules and regulations of how things should be done with elders and deacons, et cetera, et cetera, but towards one another, this one another thing, how we should love one another in the church. And boy, as he concludes today, I hope you're going to see this. And so as I've already mentioned, this is a wonderful insight, this whole letter into this father-son relationship. That's what it is. Paul and his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, but also for Timothy, his father in the faith. As far as we know, his father was a Gentile and was not a believer. Mum and grandmother, very much so. So read with me our text for today, the verses 11 to 21. 
And let's meditate on them as we read, because these are some beautiful, beautiful words and deep stuff. We won't have time to unpack it all today. But read with me verses 11 to 21, and then I'll pray one more time. But as for you, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He's not done. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides with us, us with, pardon me, everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so, they may, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Oh, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this crisp morning. Uh, just seeing everyone come in this morning and, and uh, our faces uh, warmed by the chill. <laughs> what a beautiful feeling. And Lord, I just thank you that uh, so many men and women here today have, have chosen to come here today to put you first on the first day of the week, early in the morning, to come here and to worship you, to sing those songs that we, we sang today that, that are all about you, your steadfast love. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank that you've drawn us here today. We thank you that even though we see in these words today that we are to pursue you and righteousness and godliness, you first pursued us. We can't thank you enough. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just help you would do the work of, of making whatever is going to be said this morning meaningful to our hearts and encourage us, I pray. In your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So, um, yeah, this is the last message in the series. And, I, and as I was preparing this week, a lot of thoughts were going through my mind. Um, one of the thoughts was is because two or three weeks ago, um, I started work on the next one of these, right? Uh, this is our study guide that we put out for First Timothy uh, all 12 weeks, and it includes uh, post-Sunday content questions so that we can go deeper when we get together in missional community group with each other. And as I was working on it, I'm thinking, okay, okay, so uh, yeah, we're going to be doing Second Timothy, Lord willing, starting January 7th, which is great. And, uh, but the thought came to me that I should explain to you that um, we're, we're going to do it in the Bible order, okay? So it's First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, but actually, Titus was written before 2 Timothy. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy in approximately A.D. 62, we believe. And then he leaves him there for 
four to five years to you know, follow up on this letter, do what I've told you, make it so, right? And, and as we're going to see, he does a pretty good job, it would appear. And then he writes a letter to Titus, who's in Crete, and he's playing, planning a church there. And we're going to see them. we get to Titus, similar things, slightly different, which is really interesting. And then he's going to write 2 Timothy to Timothy um, in four to five years at a point in Paul's life where he is in prison. He's in prison for the last time. It's a, it's, it's a final, final letter to not only Timothy, but to the church. Because Paul will be put to death after he writes that letter. So there's so much to, to look at here, and it's so precious to see these things. But one of the things that I saw is, is that you just heard me read in this text, which is incredible. He ends this letter with the words, guard the deposit entrusted to you. I've always loved those words, guard, right? <laughs> Stand on guard. You know, I always think of Britain, right? And those guys outside with the funny hats, and they're not really guards. I think I could take any of those guys. Well, maybe not. They have a bayonet. Stand on guard. Guard the deposit that's been given to you. What is it? It's the gospel. It's the word of God. And so he ends this letter in AD 62 approximately, and then we see that this is going to be the key verse. We had the key verse that I read this morning from 1 Timothy. This will be our key verses for 2 Timothy, where he says this in verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, Timothy, and then he repeats it. This is how he starts off the second letter. Guard the good deposit, the good news, entrusted to you. It's beautiful. The the two letters are different, and you're going to appreciate that because you know that in this first letter there was a lot of talk. He kept coming back to false teachers, false teachers, false teachers. I know. He's, He's actually going to bring it up at the end again today. He just can't help himself. The good news about 2 Timothy is is there's less of that and a lot more about the good news of the gospel and guarding that good deposit. And so today, let's uh, begin in verse 11 to see what he has to say as he closes out his letter to Timothy in this first epistle. Verse 11 says, but as for you, it'll be on screen for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Again, there's, uh, I've said this before many times. When I, I, in the past, when I first became a Christian uh, in the good old city of Toronto, don't hold that against me, um, Janice gave me a red-letter Bible. I was a King James Version. Yes, it's a great one. Um, and, and I thought at first, you know, like the red letters, the words of Jesus were the only thing I needed to read. Right? So I'd like, you know, so the black letters, move on, right? Get to the next. A few years later, I realized, hold on, <laughs> it's all the word of God, and there's some really interesting things there. But we can read these things sometimes and just go by it and not, you know, and there's a phrase here. It's really subtle, um, and you and I can go past it. We're not going to this morning because I guarantee you this, Timothy didn't. When Timothy read this, the written word, and, and heard his his father in the faith, actually saying these words to him in his mind anyway, meant a lot to Timothy. This was probably one of the most encouraging things that Paul could have said to his son in the faith in this letter this morning. He's been left alone. I mean, imagine this. I mean, this is how he feels. He's been left alone in Ephesus as a young man, right, to lead this church. And it's a growing church. It's exploding. 
pagans, Jews, a, a pile of people, hundreds if not thousands of people are coming to faith in home churches in Ephesus. And there's not only the older men who are disrespecting him and, and because it's okay, young man, it's okay, it's okay, we got this, you know. But, it, but it's also false teachers that are happening. It's also the pagan culture that it's not safe there really in a lot of areas of Ephesus. And he's, he's on his own. And he feels it sometimes. And so I wonder sometimes for those of you who are here today, have you ever felt that? I mean, I'm not talking about in ministry, or, but have you ever felt that in your work or in some place or even in your home? Like, I don't feel highly supported here. I feel like it's all on me. And sometimes I can feel like, well, then it's all up to me. So the good news is we know that, that that's not true with Timothy. He, he, he reached out and he asked Paul to help him. And so we know that Paul wrote these letters to encourage him, and that too is why I believe the Holy Spirit has preserved these words for you and I here today. Can you imagine that? Look, we have this. We have this. You have it on multiple versions on your phone. ESV is a pretty good one, okay? We have this. It's been preserved. By whom? By the Holy Spirit. So that this encouragement when we face difficulty in the life of a Christian today, anybody will be an encouragement to us too, not just to pastors and elders, to the church, to the body. So what is that phrase that I believe when, when Timothy read these words, I believe he teared up. I would have. If a father in a faith, a mentor said to me the words, oh, man of God. Do you know why that's so significant? It's really significant. Timothy, as we will see in 2 Timothy, was raised by his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. And they were Jewish women who came to faith in Christ, and they taught him the Old Testament scriptures. It, it was out of teaching him the Old Testament scriptures that they, they saw Jesus as the Messiah, and he too saw Jesus as the Messiah. But, but this phrase in the Old Testament was used quite frequently, but only in relation to great leaders and prophets of the faith. Only related to them. Names like, here you go, Moses, O man of God. David, O man of God. Elijah and Elisha too, O man, men of God. In the New Testament, the only person who's referred to as a man of God, not that he was the only one, but the only one who is, is Timothy. Here in this letter, you might say, well, that's, <laughs> how big a point is that? Well, it's pretty encouraging. It's pretty encouraging. I I'll tell you what, I'll ask you this. What if I or someone else or someone, your mother, your father, someone who's discipled you, shared faith with you, led you to Jesus Christ after 5, 10, 15 years of you struggling in your faith, someone was to come up to you and say, oh, woman of God, oh, man of God. How would that make you feel? Well, I would hope it would be a great encouragement to you. So I believe this is a wonderful way for him to conclude his letter. And again, I think this would have really touched Timothy's heart. Well, so what follows here are Paul's instructions for Timothy on how to continue being this man of God. Right here in this text. It's beautiful. He offers three imperatives, three things to do, to keep doing as a man of God. First, you see it in this verse, is the word flee, right? Is it still on screen? If we can put that verse back up, verse 11, 
please, Alec? There we go. The first is flee. And Paul has often used this word, uh, writing to the churches. So has Peter. We saw that in 1 Peter. It's often, almost always, related to fleeing sins, fleeing sexual immorality or youthful lusts, as Peter wrote to the church in Ephesus, to flee those things. Here Paul is referring to what we read about last week, however, on top of that. In the previous passage, he's writing to Timothy to flee from the three false teachers' character traits. Flee from those things. Don't be like those men or women for that matter. Flee it. But what was number one? Well, number one was conceit and pride. Now, you would think, well, on one hand, it would be just the, the false teachers that, that, that would be prideful, whatever. No, you know, men of God, people who think they're men of God, who are preachers, who are leaders in the church, can think more highly of themselves than they ought and can become prideful. And so he's, he's saying to them, be being careful, flee conceit, which comes from being puffed up with knowledge. And listen, secondarily, is like, again, these false teachers, but also can happen to you, Timothy. Secondly, flee controversies and quarreling over words. Remember a few weeks ago when I, when I suggested to you, he's, he's writing to, t- to, to Paul, and he's like, okay, based on these false teachers, Paul, what do you want me to do? You want me to learn everything that they're, they're preaching and teaching and, and then refute them? And Paul's response is, no, don't do that. Don't get involved in the controversies and the quarreling and the words. Except this word. Preach this. Read this publicly. And so thirdly, he goes on and exhorts Timothy, the last character trait, and everyone to flee. Remember that last week? The love of money. What is that? Well, that's greed. That's greed. And material possessions. So flee is first then, and it looks like also the word flight, which in other words means run. (laughs) Like turn and run from these things. All of these things, everything that I've just talked about today can infect the church today and can infect those men and women who are in leadership positions in the church. Amen? Greed? Excuse me? I know there's preachers that I've seen online that have airplanes. I don't know if you've seen that before, but I don't. I fly on airplanes, but I don't have an airplane, okay? And so then he, then he turns it and he says again, the word is there, and this is the second thing that we need to see, is he says, okay, flee those things, but listen, pursue this. When you, when you turn and you run from that, run in that direction. And what does he say? He says, second imperative then is follow or pursue. Run from these things and instead chase after, look at those words, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, I think if any of you were here during our, how many weeks was it on the fruit of the Spirit? It was a lot of weeks. It was like 10 weeks looking at every facet of the one fruit of the Spirit. This is, kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? It's like pursue those things. Pursue that. Run hard after that. So notice that the first of three of these things, righteousness, uh, godliness, faith, are in relation to our relationship with God the Father, with God, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then the last three are really about our relationship uh, with each other in the household of God. So it's important, and I know many of you know this, but I'm going to just highlight it for this this morning because we need to understand this and remind ourselves of this. It's important that we understand that our pursuit of righteousness is not about 
doing more righteousness in order to be more approved or reapproved because of our sin by our Heavenly Father. Amen? It's not about that. It's not about, but that it, it, it is instead related to faith, which is also one of these three. What faith? Well, the faith that we have been saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. As my mentor in life used to say, Glenn, it's not about doing, it's all about a big done. And yet there's still work to do, right? That's what it's about. That's what our faith is about, is understanding that. And so the error that many in Timothy's church and all of us here today might attempt to do is attempt to make ourselves worthy of God's or man's approval for that matter by doing, by seen, be, being seen to be righteous, to being godly, and to be faithful. Look at me, I show up for church, check the box. It's not about that. We need to understand that. But also we understand, it's okay, take a message. <laughs> okay. uh, I love that. <clears throat> Yeah, it's also not about, um, as we're going to see in conclusion here today, it's also not about showing people how much we know, right? How much we know about the Word of God. How much we actually can refute all these false teachings. How much we also know about all the political parties in Canada. From a religious perspective, of course. It isn't about that. Because that can eventually turn into, in the church, you know, you've got your liberal, progressive side over here, but you've also got your what? your legalistic, pharisaical side over here. And, well, both sides can be crushing. Both sides can be incredibly crushing to us. So how encouraging is it then that we understand that the way God sees you and I here today is that we are no longer guilty? (laughs) He sees you right now. He sees me right now. He looks at us. He He knows Glenn's thoughts for the last seven days. But I'm no longer guilty. He doesn't look at you that way. He doesn't look at us that way. We are no longer guilty in any way, shape, or form. We are no longer, in his opinion, tied to evil. We are actually free. It's, it's hard for me sometimes to picture it, and, and I find, find it hard sometimes to word it for you and for myself even so that we can see it well, but the reality is, is that when he looks at me, when he looks at you, he sees his son. Why? Well, well, because, and I've said this many times before, Jesus came into this world to give his life for you and for me. He died for you. Why? Well, be, so that he could give his life to you, so that his life could be in you. Why? Well, so that he could live through you and me in this world today. Man, when, when I get that, fixed in my head on a daily basis is like, okay, no matter what happens, I can move forward trusting him. And so I'm no longer filled with weakness either, but realizing that, yeah, not perfect, not perfect, but he is making me more righteous, more righteous every day, every day, every day. I hope you feel the same way. And so that should then lead us, once, once we've got that fixed in our mind, that there's nothing that we can do about making ourselves more righteous, more godly, or have more faith, resting in that and knowing that, then we can go about loving one another as we should, right? More faithfully. And, and we can endure. I, I, steadfastness, I love that word. It's called endurance. I know some of you in this room can run like, 10K 17 times a week. I know, right? I can't. You know, some can run very long distances and have the endurance. And well, how do you do that? Well, you build it up. You build it up. You start small, 
And then you build up the endurance, and you build up the endurance. Well, being formed in righteousness, godliness, and faith will produce in us this steadfastness, which really is well translated as endurance. And finally, of course, that leads to kindness and gentleness. Where? In the household of God, first of all, and then to everyone in this world today. That then leads us to the third imperative for a man or woman of God. We're all going to love this one. 12a says this, fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Let's pray. No. <clears throat> Look, I, I, I'm going to confession again here. Um, my dad taught me because of my, my height at 18 years of age, which looked like it had stopped. Uh, to, to box, because he was a boxer, right? So I, I developed a little bit of a pugilistic approach when I was a kid. It was like, yeah, go ahead, take a shot. No, don't anybody try today, please. Um, no, really, like it was a little, you know, like but that back in the day. But also I was raised in that, that generation, you know, where we had, you know, bell-bottoms and tie-dyed shirts and very long hair, right? And, and one of our favorite sayings whenever we saw each other at school or on the street was, peace, love, and groovy, man. No, I'm serious, okay? Peace, love, and groovy, man. Now, man, we always say, we didn't say, or woman. Like, we all just got it, okay? I know things have changed, but that's the way we looked at it, right? The Beatles song, All You Needed Is Love, was our anthem. It truly was. But then I realized, as, <laughs> at the point that I, uh, I finished my idealistic youth, which is in my early 20s, that that song is only three minutes and 48 seconds long. And that sometimes can be the extent of peace, love, and groovy, man, right? Because, look, early in my life, I saw the President of the United States assassinated. I saw Martin Luther King assassinated. I saw racial outbreaks in the United States, not much in Canada at the time, but it was all... And then Cuba, missile crisis, the end of the world. Things are way better today, aren't they? Yeah. Reality set in for me when I was in my early 20s. It's not that I became pessimistic and look at the world all the time with less than rosy hippie glasses. No, but it, it was a reality check. This, this, is, this world is broken, man. There's, there's something wrong here. There's something seriously wrong here. And then, at 23 years of age, when I finally heard the gospel for the first time, really, I realized, well, there's something wrong here something wrong here inside of myself. And so once I became a Christian at 23 years of age, well, I, I actually did find peace in my heart, a, a peace in my heart that stuck with me in life and especially in my future. But listen, after a brief honeymoon, honestly, I, I came to faith in Christ. I got, my, I got a haircut. That was the first thing that happened, right? Really. I stopped smoking. I stopped taking the Lord's name in vain. I stopped smoking all kinds of substances, by the way. Okay. I, like, for one year, I thought, I, I will never sin again. Reality happened again. And there were a few years there where I was like, well, what, what happened here? I, I thought Jesus saved me. I, you know, I, should I grow my hair back? I mean, it was sad. No, really, I, I, I was full of questions. I didn't understand. But I did figure it out because I kept reading the Word of God, and I went to church, and I heard sermons, and I found out that, yeah, you know what? It is called a battleground. We're in a battle. 
We're in a war. It's not just pastors and elders, like I said earlier in the letter to Timothy, that have a target on their backs. You do as well. You do as well. Why? Well, because, as you know, we don't battle against flesh and blood. Sometimes we can take it that way or even act that way. That's wrong. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. He and they are real. Just as much as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are real. They are real. We all have an enemy of our souls, and he has only one goal. Some of you who are rocksters have been here for a long time. You've heard me say this before. But his plan A is this, to ensure that every human being on this planet exits this life without Christ. That's his plan A. He'll settle for plan B. His plan B is that every Christian live their lives functionally dead. Not only in the way that they they share their faith, because they don't, because they fear certain things, but they don't experience it. They don't experience the beauty of the Christian life. So I sense, and I know this is true, a lot of people who come to faith in Christ, they really struggle with this. Sometimes we look around and we think wrongly, I'm going to suggest to you, but it sometimes looks like those people who have no faith who are clearly sinners, right, who don't want anything to do with God, it seems like, well, they're happier than we are as Christians. Like, they don't seem to have any stresses and worries, I said wrongly, I suggest. By comparison, we look at them and they go, they're having a great time. Because, like, where are we right now? And they're, like, maybe skiing at Whistler because the mountain's open. It is. And so that would be wrong for us to think that. It doesn't get any better if you also in your life are getting persecuted for your faith, does it? It doesn't get any better when you're canceled or rejected because of your faith. If we think it's bad now, hold on. I mean, really hold on. I don't think it's really going to get that much better. Add to the fact that sometimes it can feel like the battle... The battle that is life itself, just getting up every day and getting my body moving and getting, you know, got, got to clean up after last night, got to eat, got to do this, got to do that. But then also the battle of the Christian life, sometimes it feels like the battle will never end. So I, I, I really, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be a bit of a downer, <laughs> but as one commentator put it, we shouldn't expect things to get much better what he had to say. On the other hand, I want us to remember this. Come on. Our Heavenly Father does often give us times of peace, of rejoicing, of love and family and blessing and the real life. Do you have a memory of that? Like in the last seven days? The last month? In your life? Well, you will again. However, also remember this. Our enemy does not rest or sleep. I hate that about him. <laughs> he doesn't rest or sleep. He doesn't at all. He knows exactly, he knows exactly how to plant or to get to each one of us, how to discourage us, how to make us angry with each other. Oh, boy. Right? How to plant seeds of hostility and unrest between a husband and a wife in a family or in a community. Is Christmas going to be fun this year with all of our in-laws and outlaws and family? I hope so. But he will, he, will, he will give us battles there. 
So there, there are battles. They're going to continue. But there's really good news. <laughs> there's always good news. And Paul tells us in this text how to fight this battle. It's beautiful. Look what he says in verse, the last part of verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, Timothy, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So these words here are very similar to the words that he gives uh, in writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, also close, but verse 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God. Remember this one? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So again, back in 1 Timothy, it's this. He's saying, take hold, put on what? Jesus Christ. Take hold of him, put him on, his righteousness, his godliness, his faith, put it on. Take hold of his strength, his wisdom, his love, his gentleness, his peace in your life. He is in charge of whatever happens to you today. He is in charge. God is in charge of whatever will happen to you today. And you, can, you and I can rest on that fact. He's there. And so that's the way you fight the good fight of faith. That's the way you take hold of life eternal. And then he adds, and this should be really good encouragement to all of you who are considering baptism here today. We had nine candidates at our baptism clash a few weeks ago. A few have come back and told me that they're, they're thinking of it and they want to get baptized and we need to talk about it further. But basically what, what Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy here is, listen, take hold. Do you remember that day? Timothy, go back. Do you remember the day that you got up in front of the church? I was there. And you gave your confession of faith in Jesus Christ and you honored your mother and your grandmother, how they led you to faith. And, and, and then you told people of the gospel and you expressed it. You gave witness and confession of your faith as your testimony in front of many witnesses. Do you remember that? Look, the, the reason why he's saying that to, to Timothy, but also to you and I here today is because that's a big, good day. Right? That's a day we can't forget because you don't get up in front of people and say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross in my place and for my sins, and that based on that, I am forgiven and I have life eternal with my heavenly Father and with those who are in Christ for eternity. You don't do that unless you believe that's true. You don't. And when you know that's true and you believe that's true, it, it changes your life. It really should and does. And so I think... A good question is not about baptism, but do you and I do that? Do, do you and I do that every day? Okay, so listen. <laughs> I could confess this. And so just think about it. Are you doing that when you wash the dishes? I have to do this three times a day if I'm a mother, or a father for that matter. When you're cutting the grass, when you're shopping at the mall, when you're dealing with difficult relationships in the home, in the family, at work. Are you doing that? <laughs> Holding on, putting on, doing this for Christ. Last week, a couple of the cross-references to our, our thing about honoring masters was to remember that even when you're in a master-servant relationship, an employer-employee relationship, and it's not great, it's like, I'm serving Jesus. Yeah. Okay, you shouldn't be saying that the way I just said it. It should be like, no, I am doing this unto the Lord. Not to please man or for I service, to get credit from man, but I'm serving the Lord, no matter what my circumstances are. That's a beautiful thing. So the question is, are we taking hold of all the goodness and life that we have in Christ? And so that, my friends, is what he wants us to do. 
you remember when uh, Jesus was asked by a blind man to help him? I love this. In the book that I've been strongly recommending for weeks now, called You Are What You Love, James K.A. Smith highlights this passage and the words of Jesus. It won't be on screen, but Jesus looks at this blind man and says, what do you want me to do for you? Let me repeat those words. Jesus is asking you this question right now. What do you want me to do for you, Glenn, Christian? Do you think about it that way? I just love that. I loved it so much. Of course, the man said, I want my sight. I'd like to see again. Jesus healed him. And he saw. Again, but he also saw the man who healed him. I want us to think about that this week when you run up against these things. Jesus whispering in your ear, what do you want me to do for you right now? What do you want me to do? So the man or woman of God flees certain things, follows after, pursues after godly qualities, and he or she fights the good fight of faith. Now Paul turns Timothy in our attention to the great qualities of our God just as our hymns did today and our songs did today. Verse 13, he says, I charge you, therefore, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony before, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So first we have a reminder here, right back to Genesis 1, don't we? The words, in the beginning, God created. Finished statement. In the beginning, God created. All kinds of other things come out of that passage and follow that, but that's the most important statement in the first verse. Everything is God's creation. But we also learn here that he's the giver of life of all things. Everything that has breath, he is the giver of life to that thing, to you and to me, to the animals. He's the giver of life to all things. So our God not only gave you and I life when we were born by our earthly parents, our birth parents, but he also gave you new life through the power of the Holy Spirit when you were born again. And, and, and the gospel continues, and, and it means this. He is still giving you life today to, to both your mortal bodies, but more importantly, to your heart and your soul. He is. Well, what... Is he? Do you feel that every moment of every day? Well, let me ask this question. Are you asking him in prayer, letting him know in prayer what you want him to do for you right now, what you need most right now? Oh, man. That's the picture that we need to see. And then look at what he says next. When, when you are being persecuted for your faith, and, and, and listen, this is something I, I occasionally throw out there just for a test. Uh, anybody been persecuted for the faith in the last seven days? Last month, last year. Okay, let me ask the question. Why not? That's that's a question. But if you have been, look to the model that Jesus set for us. You remember the story. You know more what happened. Pilate asked Jesus a question. While he was on trial for his life, he asked him a question in front of the religious leaders, uh, the Jewish religious leaders, but in front, of course, he's the 
he's Caesar's representative there, but also in front of all of his guards and everyone else there. He asks him the question, are you the king of the Jews? So amazing. It's the seminal question. It really is. And so Pilate probably thought he was a genius here, and so did the religious leaders, because it's like, well, if Jesus says no, then he's denying the truth that he is the Messiah. But I also think of it this way. If Jesus says no, imagine being one of the disciples is there, and he says no, and they, what? <laughs> Excuse me. We, we followed you for three years, because why? You're saying no? Well, obviously, he can't say no, because that would not be the truth. He is the Messiah. But, but then, if he says yes, what's the outcome? He's going to die. They all knew that. The religious leaders are going, come on, go with yes. Right? The words that Jesus uses in the Hebrew language are best translated this, this way. And it's the most emphatic way, just so you understand, how to say yes. He said this, you are saying it. The words coming out of your mouth are the truth. That did cost him his life, right? That cost Jesus his life. So Paul's reminding Timothy and you and I here today, the Holy Spirit is, that there will be times when you will have to say no, but you'll want to say yes. There's times when you're going to need to say yes, but you're going to want to say no. And I guess the question here is, is are, are we going to allow ourselves to be canceled, to rejected, be rejected, or even worse? You know, Christians around the world to this day are being put to death because they, they profess faith in Jesus Christ, right? We, we do realize that, don't we? They are. So we need to look to Jesus. He set the good example. He was, look, the faithful witness to the truth. So what then was Paul charging Timothy with? Well, he tells us in verses 14 and 15, I'm charging you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, who, he, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. What is the commandment that Timothy is to keep? Well, the best answer to that question is what Jesus told his disciples at the last Passover meal. He said, a new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Keep that commandment. That is the commandment. Learn to be loving people. Learn to forgive, to reach out, and think of others instead of yourself. Love is the central thing. And so Paul reminds Timothy now, keep that commandment unstained. Oh, man. Without reproach by the way you live. And then he adds that encouraging assurance. Do this until Jesus reappears. Not until Jesus maybe reappears, until he does. It's emphatic in the language. And that's an assurance to all of us. He's coming back, and when he does, I believe these words are saying, he will put all of God's love on display for all to see. In the most perfect of ways. Even those who rejected him and hate him will still recognize his love. And he finishes with, of course, he is the only sovereign. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I 
am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Rather exclusive, right? Rather exclusive. Such beautiful words. In verse 16, he goes on to say, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And like I said earlier, it's not done. But this is a benediction to the letter. It really is. It's a beautiful benediction. He returns us to the truth that Jesus is alive because he is immortal. And because he is immortal, so will we be. So are we. Your body, my body, our bodies will, will die. You, you, the person, your soul, will not die. In Christ, you have immortality that will live with Christ, with your Heavenly Father, forever. Man, that's so beautiful. And then he goes on, he says this, he goes, look, it's because of his blood that has washed us and made us what? White, that we can one day stand in his unapproachable brightness. It's the only reason why we will be able to. It's because we have been washed clean. I think the words, oh, praise his worthy name, are appropriate this time, aren't they? They really are. After a few more words about wisdom to the rich in Ephesus, which we won't go over this morning, Paul signs his letter off with these beautiful words to his beloved Timothy. He says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the truth. Grace be with you. So Paul will return to his charge to Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to him, as I mentioned earlier, four to five years from now or later in his life. But of course, he can't help himself. He takes one last shot at the false teachers. I don't know. Personally, I, it, he does. He takes one last shot. But actually, what he's taking a shot at is a, a false religion as well that is percolating within the church at that time. And today, it's known as Gnosticism. And, and it's the celebration of, well, we just need more knowledge. Not more Christ, just more knowledge. And we will attain the good life that way. It's alive and well today, by the way. And we will see that in Second Timothy in the new year. So quite the finish to the letter, right? That's quite the finish <laughs> that he's given to us. History tells us some really good things. Timothy actually did what Paul urged him to do in the very, very, very beginning of the letter. Remember that? He said, Timothy, stay in Ephesus. <laughs> stay there. And then he ends with, fight the good fight. Guard the good deposit. Good news? Timothy did. Timothy did. And the church grew under his leadership, under his preaching and teaching of the word. It grew. He didn't run from the battle, but instead he continued the work of a man of God, preaching and teaching the word of God faithfully in spite of the challenges, the struggles, and the constant rejection. Oh, that all pastors and elders and believers in Jesus Christ would be that steadfast to this day. Amen? I can't wait to meet Timothy. Jesus above all. But I want to meet this young man. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, 
as we will see at Christmas in our uh, Advent series, uh, you are one, and you've all been part of this unbelievable plan that you've had since before the foundation of the world. And, and, and here we are, 2,000 years, this side of the cross, and we, we get to look back at it and see all of your promises fulfilled, everything that you said would happen did happen. We see the faithfulness of the early church, so many of the men and women who faithfully, faithfully guarded the good deposit so that we actually have it today in writing, in words, that you, Holy Spirit, ultimately preserved. So we just want to thank you. I thank you. Lord, I thank you for what you have done in my heart and I know in many others in this, uh, this last 12 weeks as we've gone through this letter. What a blessing it's been. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be mindful of it in the years ahead, that it would, you would just bring things to each one of our minds as we remember, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, I remember what Paul wrote to Timothy. I remember what Timothy did with that. Oh, I'm, I remember how that impacted me personally. And so, Lord, we, we, we look forward to our Advent season. We look forward to the new year and uh, seeing the, the follow-up letter to Timothy from Paul and also to Titus. So, Lord, I just pray a blessing over all of us today. I pray you would keep us safe through this, this season ahead of us, this Christmas season, where people are flying and visiting family and friends. And Yeah, Lord, would you bless us? I thank you for this day. In your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.